Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. This is Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover with the Minds Gym podcast. This is going to be episode two with Dr. Lin. If you enjoyed episode one, you definitely don't want to miss this one. It's a real treat. Enjoy. Uh, Byron Katie says that uh, we don't create our own thoughts. And it definitely, you know, correlates with what you says as she says to tap into those negative thoughts like the only way you can uh, she says you don't control your own thoughts they're just a happening but to nail them down pinpoint them and then question them and then when you understand them the thought goes away exactly so that's what I love about her work which is correlates with what you're saying and and what I, I mean I love her work I truly do and also we have randomly and it's probably way more than 50,000 thoughts a day that's just what this study said right um, we're thought machines. Mm-hmm. And when you walk by somebody on the street who say who's massively depressed yeah. and you wonder like three blocks later, well, I felt so good. I feel like crap now. And you start worrying about all this stuff. Chances are it's an energetic thought that came into your energy field that your consciousness took in as its own. Yeah. Because one of the first things I do is ask people, is this your story? Is it your parents' story? Is this your thought? Is this your illness? How many people come to me with, quote, uncurable conditions? And when I look, well, is it yours? And I'll get a big resounding no. But what the heck does that mean? Well, what it tends to mean is as a child, you're exposed to that condition. Children are little love bugs. They want to help mommy. They want to help daddy. They want to help sister Sue who's in the hospital. And, and you know, and so we, we somehow energetically attract that vibratory opening to that illness. Mm-hmm. And I have had people with Parkinson's and they took it from a relative and they never responded. Mm-hmm. But it didn't help the relative and it didn't help them. I've had people come to me with broken, literally broken hearts, scheduled for open heart surgery on a Monday. They came to my retreat on a Saturday, a Friday night. I thought they were coming for the weekend. We took a walk in the woods. We sat down. She told me about how she hated her husband. She put him through medical school, through, through, through all this stuff to get his board certification. And she's supporting him. And then as soon as he gets all his licenses, he leaves her for a younger woman. Wow. And she was annoyed, to put yeah. it mildly. And she said, I'll never forgive that son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. So she was carrying this in her heart. Yeah. So I actually had her do a little thing with her back to a tree. I said, are you willing to carry this burden of all these stones that you've got? She took physical stones and buried them at the base of the tree. She stood up. She goes, I forgive the son of a bitch. I'm stronger <laughs> than that. She goes, and I don't need surgery anymore. Yeah, wow. I, and then she goes, and I'm leaving now. I said, wait, didn't yeah. you come for the weekend? No, I got what I needed. Wow. So I said, 
promise me you will go to the hospital Monday morning. Promise me you will get your test done. Well, she had her pre-op test, and they sent her home. Yeah. The surgeon says, why are you here? Yeah. Well, doctor, you told me I needed to have open-heart surgery. Well, get out of here. Come back yeah. in a month. Why are you here? Yeah. She forgave, and her broken heart healed. Help. All our organ stuff, even our depression, is here for us to become more of who we were born to yeah. be. Yes. And that, uh, that lady's husband that had the affair, he did it for her. So. Mm-hmm to assist her in finding herself. Hard to hear when you're going through it, Mm -hmm. but to be able to look back and recollect, all your experiences are only to help you find you at the end of the day. It's so simple when you're you're sitting in the seat where you have that awareness, but to all the listeners out there are going, oh, this is such dribble. I can't believe they're saying this. I can say I was in their seat. When they first said things like, well, you know, when you die, you meet your loved ones. You know, my comment was, well, then I'm not going to die. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was so into the, the unfairness of life and why yeah. was I so bad that this stuff happened to me? See, that was a thought that wasn't yeah. mine, yeah. you know? And so when you start to look at these thoughts, aren't, they're just floating through. What do I want to hold on to? What feeds me from the inside out? Yeah. That's where flow, synchronicity, grace, joy, you know, the, the, I, I might have said this already, so I guess I need to say it again, but the, I have a Swedish proverb on my wall. Joy shared is doubled. Sorrow shared is halved. And I would add to that, and when sorrow shared is greeted with, well, how is this for you? Mm-hmm. It becomes your greatest strength. Yeah. Love it. Um, briefly, and I got a question. It's uh, about another few minutes uh, down the line, but as that lady sitting by the tree healed her heart, notice she healed her mind. When you heal your mind, the body follows, right? So uh, body follows mind. So if you can just calm this down, usually all your organs and everything else will just follow suit. Our mind is our worst enemy. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts I got from brain injuries is I used to have a totally photographic memory. I can still recall from grad school that such and such was on page B12, number five. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have some of that old archaic memory. But now it's like I'm, I live more in the moment. I used to worry about, I don't remember my best friend's name. Um, um, and then I'll get it. It's because I'm living in, the, in what we laughingly called the now. Yeah. When I need the information, I get it. Yeah. So in a sense, opening that part of us that takes all these things, recognizes we're also not our mind, that it's a storage device. I like to call it the negative power installation because we're here to overcome what our mind tells us. The heart is 5,000 times electrically more strong than the brain, but because our brains sit on top of these bodies and our consciousness is here to have the experience, it takes a very willing, strong person to want to tame their mind. That's mm. why I meditate. Before I came here today, I spent a couple of hours doing my qigongs, going out on the porch, enjoying the incredible air and the mountains and the breeze on my face. I could be present with that without my mind saying, you need to get going now, you need to get going now. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. so when we tame our mind and make it our servant, then the sky's the limit. Wow. You know, mind... And then the reticular act. I mean, our mind is incredible. And, you know, I can't validate this study, but I heard recently 
that, you know, it's, we're always told you only use one-tenth of your mind. Well, recently, and I don't have the data because it was an MD that gave me the information, said most people only use one-ten-thousandth of their mind. Wow. Imagine what would happen if we took our inner God-given self and applied it through our mind for the creation of things that would make this a planet of peace. Mm. It starts inside of us. It starts with taming the mind, honoring the body, listening to the messages from the body. Because when we override our body, we're over overriding our second brain. Yeah. You know, our gut is our second brain. I would say our nervous system, you know, it, they used to think the brain was separate from the spinal cord, but it's actually one one long thing. As we take dominion over that, we have dominion over everything. Wow. I love your explanation. You've got a ton of knowledge up there. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. So who, what or who really are we and what are we doing here? I have to laugh because I'm so joy-filled with that question. What I've learned for myself personally, what the heck are we doing here? We're here to breathe in and breathe out. It's that simple. And in the course of breathing in and breathing out, if we can be loving, if if, if we can know that we are here to love, and I have a poem on my calendar that my spiritual director that I got decades ago, We're here to see with the eyes of loving. And if you can't see with the eyes of loving, and I'm paraphrasing this a lot, make it up and put loving there, even if you've made it up. Because when you see everything with the eyes of loving, everything becomes loving. Hmm. And so my prayer for my own life is that I communicate living loving so that wherever I go in the world, whether it's, it's with you or with someone who has, you know, 300 million followers you know it's like I'm there to bring the peace inside that wants resolution we're these incredible beings like when people say are you an artist I'll say yes well what's your medium I say my life is my medium Hmm. and I've painted a lot of stuff I've done a lot of Jackson Pollock (laughs) I've done a lot of you know Rembrandts I've done Michelangelo and I've done chicken scratch like a three year old and that's my palette and so each of us has this, this breath, this platform of breath that allows us to overcome obstacles, you know, gain awareness is about loving and about how kindness is contagious. Anger is contagious. Hatred is contagious. Loving is contagious. Yeah. So when you greet somebody who's angry with a recognition that, boy, they're screaming at me. I used to take that personal. Now I truly, truly know that there's a negative energy that's here to test us, and it comes to our weak link. And for many of us that are sensitive, oh, and someone says, you're stupid and you're full of this, and how could you say such a thing? I used to be devastated. Now I go, wow, thank you for your opinion. Thank you for sharing. And inside I just go, God bless you, I love you, peace be still. Hmm. And then it's not personal, it's for me. My parents were for me. Yes. The loss of my, my child through, through being taken from, from an estranged husband who wasn't well. That was for me. Yeah. And I'm still, when I stay, oh, my heart's still broken. I say, oh, stop it. I do not want a broken heart. My heart is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love my child. My child loves me. She found me t- more than 12 years after I lost her. God told me she would come back. He told me the year. 
And I had the most incredible social workers who helped me. Mm. And I had my inner, my inner foundation of knowing what God does is right and proper. Mm. My job is to put loving where there is none. <clears throat> so r- rephrase that. You, who did you find? Well, my daughter found me. Your 12, daughter. 12 years after her dad grabbed her out of my arms. Oh, so he left and <clears throat> took her away mm-hmm. for 12 years. For 12 years. You didn't we, see we your daughter. We were divorced. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Um, yeah, he was crazy. He wow. basically strangled me in front of our daughter. And that's wow. part of why my giving back to women with domestic violence. Wow. There was domestic violence in my child of origin caused by alcohol and, and mental illness. Mm. So I grew up with mostly verbal violence but then as my husband became ill, what was my best friend became someone who couldn't see me. And I was the enemy, and I was bad, and he was going to take his daughter. It was mm. his daughter. Mm. And I, I insisted on joint custody, which was, in retrospect, I could say it was a mistake. But in actuality, my daughter needed to be with her father. Yeah. That was her thing. When she was five, she came home one day and said, Mommy, I need to go live with Daddy. How come, honey? My daddy's going to die soon. I need to be there. Mommy, you know how to take care of yourself. Daddy doesn't. This is a five-year-old. Wow. And we just, to humor her, we let her stay the summer with him. A week after she was there, he did collapse with liver failure. He didn't die. Wow. But she saw that. She knew. And so she knew a lot of things, and she's wise. She's in my life again. She has her life. She's married, and she has her journey. My job was to love her so thoroughly that she had every tool, forgiveness, gratitude, you know, asking God for help by the time she was five. Wow. I love it. What's her name? Michelle. Michelle. For the Beatles and for Archangel Michael. Oh, sweet. So neat. Yeah. Uh, where were we before we came here to earth? We've always been and we always will be. Yeah. My sense, you know, again, I'm putting into words what there are no words for. So everything I've said on this podcast is basically a lie. <laughs> but I'm doing my best to translate what can be felt. Yep. When we do that inner work, I'm not any different than any of your listeners. Mm-hmm. If you get curious about who you are, and, and if you had a goal to be X when you're a little kid and you're not doing it, chances are you got it talked out of you. Yeah. So... Who are we before we come? I'd like to say that we've never not been one with God and that God is all. So therefore, we segment ourselves into a little piece so that we can experience the God of itself's creation. There's a creation story with the Native Americans that God was lonesome. God couldn't know himself because he was so he, she was so big. They called the great mystery. Because it's unknowable. If you think you've nailed God, your God's too small. So here we are, this amorphous essence of energy, for lack of a better word. Again, my words are lying. And God says, you know, I'm kind of lonely. Maybe I'll I'll, uh, replicate myself. You know, and if you go back from the Native American to the Christian mythology, you know, the oldest born is Lucifer. Mm -hmm. And I understand there's a Netflix show where they call the devil Lucifer, Lucy. I've called the devil Lucy for as long as I can remember. Mm. So, um, so Lucy comes down here, and his plan is, is kind of like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've got to earn your way back to God. So nobody ever came back. So a couple million days later, a billion, God says to his second son, you know, nobody's ever come back. And then, and then the second born, the Christ, says, 
oh, I got a plan. I'll go down and we'll give them a, a way that they can choose because there was no free choice back then. It was you did wrong, you paid for it. And it, with that attitude, and everybody be blind and, and, you know, dead. So Lucifer says no. So there's a fall. Mm-hmm. So it's, God promised Lucifer this universe as a negative platform. You earn your way back. Sorrow, suffering, death, like all of the, the, the angst that we so pride ourselves in. Um, and then Christ says, well, I'm going to go down and bring the grace plan. Well, and God says, that's a really good idea. And Lucifer says, no, that's my plan. You can't have my planet. So I said, boy, stop fighting. It's your planet, Lucifer. But your brother's going to go and bring an option. So option A is suffer your way into purity of a God that will never accept you because Lucifer is all about Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And then you come over here, and Christ, through the crucifixion, bridged the gap. He took all the quote-unquote stuff we did that would never let us go back to a knowing inside of our relationship to God. It was all external. Then the Christ gives us his opportunity to to take the grace plan. So a lot of people started moving toward grace. Mm -hmm. This could be called evolution. You know, you start as a, a, a whatever and you build your way up, but you still never go home. And then over here is grace. That's where going inside connects you. So when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within yeah. and, and I go to prepare a place for you, that breath, no matter what you call it, that's God. Mm. So when we're breathing, it's God. When we're not breathing, it's God. When we're breathing, we have a form. When we've learned what we've come to learn, we take all of our loving, all of our growth back. But we don't die because we're eternal and everlasting. And God now knows itself in every iteration, the good, the bad, the ugly, but there is no good, there is no bad, there is no ugly. There's just the isness. Just is. It just is. Yeah. So, do you prescribe to a particular religion? Um, the God that breathes me is my religion. Yeah. I have an intimate relationship with the Christ. I've been on the other side several times, so I have, I have a view that I speak from my experience, not from a book. Mm-hmm. I am a non-denominational minister. I'm a spiritual director in the Christian tradition. Um, I have a master's in applied theology, but I study the truths that are that are ever present. And every religion at some level has a God. Mm-hmm. And how we interpret our God, my sense is, and how we interpret various religions is that certain levels of consciousness come to learn certain things. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever stood at the end of the pier with the sun angling into the water, you'll see layers. So each of us is is not earning our way, but we're remembering our way back to the union mm-hmm. with God and Father and Son and Trinity, however you want to call it, as a oneness. We, we trans, transcend the human condition. Mm-hmm. If you look at those layers, one could be Baptist, one could be Methodist, one could be Lutheran, you know, one could be any religion or absence thereof, but the consciousness comes with the experiences through the religion, through the parents. So we uniquely become a facet in the body of God that that information goes back and the whole becomes greater. Hmm. Does, does, so does religion, if you prescribe to a particular religion, you've got your religion, I got my religion, and my neighbor's got his religion, and the other neighbor's got his religion. Does religion separate us as human beings? That's a loaded question. I think on one level, 
when we say our religion is the only way, it separates us for sure. I would think as a way and a container to bring people to the awareness that there's a God, to that extent, whoever finds their religion, I would never tell them the religion is, is wrong or bad. I would never say, like, some religions say drinking is bad, some religions say dancing is bad. Yeah. But that's an artificial interpretation of something that has no words. Mm -hmm. So based on our level of consciousness and what we're here to learn, we would choose a religion. You know, I have people that were raised, like, incredibly, like, pious, going to church every morning, Catholics. And um, my second husband was actually raised as a very devout Catholic in a very devout family. And when his brother was killed by a drunk driver, while he was engaged in his selflessness, he turned his car so that the drunk driver hit his side instead of his fiance's. In fact, they just had a, 45, 50 years later, they just had a, his grandchildren or his, um, whatever they would be, his father's grandchildren's, you know, children almost, they were doing poetry based on Paul. He's considered St. Paul in, in, this, in this community in, in northern Maine, in Maine. And there's a scholarship for him at the University of Maine. Religion gave his mother something to, to, to do. She went to Mass every day for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. her, his brother, his younger brother, who became my husband, also had a health condition. And that older brother was his protector. He lost his faith. For many, many years, he wandered. And then one day, he, he was an actor, and he was in England, and, and Christ came and said, you're mine. Go to theology school. I said, okay. Didn't have any money. His, his church that he loosely belonged to gave him a scholarship, got him a scholarship, gave him room and board, and every day he commuted to school, which took him two and a half hours, and then they got him an apartment. So he went on to get a master's in theology, became a chaplain, Together, he and I have been on TV shows that have probably touched hundreds of thousands of people because they still air now, you know, mm. from time to time. But he took his trauma of losing his brother, of having, by the time he died, he'd had 16 surgeries. And he went to the very place he feared, which was the hospital. Mm. And when he walked in the room limping with a cane, every patient knew he knew what their pain was, even though it was different. So yeah. pain is universal. Religion gives us a community, a tribe, and in its highest and best form, it supports one another in finding God inside. Yeah. The trouble is people love control, and we formalize things that may have brought someone to, to enlightenment, like Christ brought a lot of people to enlightenment. Other Buddha, other, other prophets have all had their share, but ultimately the only thing that separates us from God is us. Yeah. And, and it's everything is a stepping stone to right. God. The good in the religion, the not good in the religion. Ultimately, we are responsible for our thinking. And if something doesn't make sense, and they keep saying, no, you don't have a toothache. No, you don't have a toothache. It's in your head. It's in your head. And you've got an abscess tooth. At some point, either you're going to die, or you're going to go find a dentist and get the data. Is it yeah. real? Am I making this up? Right. So religion both separates and brings yeah. together. Yeah, as you... As you're talking here, and I have a thought, like, I wonder if this gal that um, you mentioned goes to Mass every day, can, re can religion almost take you away from you? Because if you're so focused on your religion and you're looking for your religion for all your answers, 
sometimes you got to look in the mirror, right? And dig deep and, and look at you. So some people put everything on their religion where sometimes you want to say, man, just, you know, take a step back, look in the rem- mirror and, and realize that, you know, you've got everything in you you need to take care of yourself, but to continue to go and pray every day, and if you're not getting your answers, maybe you need a little dig a little deeper with inside yourself. I, I would concur, and this may make a lot of people annoyed, but that's okay. That's my job. Yeah. What I find in my work when I look at what I call loyalty to my soul or loyalty to your soul, when you mindlessly follow religion, which they're really good at getting people to be part of their tribe and it's us against them, which is human nature, for sure. But but that's giving loyalty to something other than your soul. And ultimately, I see people that come to me that are bereft and they're in spiritual crisis. They spent their whole life making a lot of money so they could give their wife and children a nice place to stay. They are so loyal to becoming a partner in the law firm or, or becoming president of the United States. Whatever it is, it can be corrupted when you make that your God. Yeah. Trying to stay young, like worshiping the body mm-hmm. instead of your soul, worshiping a religion and a dogma which has not been tested inside of you with the God of your understanding. And, yeah. and ironically, all those many of the prophets who had God inside, you know, they set out to help people, but the negative power is still there, never stops to the yeah. day you die. And then sometimes. The, the, the loyalty to what they're doing to help people in some way may begin to hinder them. So the early Christians that did what Jesus taught, they got killed because they didn't follow the early Christian church. Right. And we do witch hunts on people that are different. But if we knew, really knew, each yeah. other's secret pain, yeah. regardless of religion, the, you would take the person in your arms. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and I've worked with people in, in like, the ghetto. I was sent on assignment there one time inwardly for 90 days, toughest 90 days of my life, I think. But in that, in that course of being there, um, I prayed with felons, convicted murderers. I prayed with people in a hospital with crack. Um, I, I saw a side of life that I thought my life was bad, you know. And so I did that as part of a nonprofit that I was starting, that actually didn't work. I, but I was told to go, so I went. And at the end of the 90 days of like 20-hour days um, working toward this goal of starting this nonprofit, I realized, like, Lord, why did you send me there? You know, I mean, why, why did I have to, like, here's my why, my human mind, because can you tell me a little more, Lord? Because I did it to the best of my ability. Well, you minister to all regardless of race, creeds, situation, color, circumstance, or environment. Mm. Consider that a crash course. Yeah. And so now I have infinite um, gratitude for what I learned in that 90 days. You know, and so now I'm a richer human being because they all loved God. Every person I met loved God but it was the God of their understanding. So their God was like, oh, Lord, please please help let me get off my, my conviction. Mm-hmm. Lord, please get me out of jail early. You know, Lord, if I just get there in time, help me meet so-and-so. And this was the nature of the prayer. Mm-hmm. But it was so earnest. So I had to admire them 
for where their consciousness was with regard to the God of their understanding. And, and that's, that's the trip. Mm-hmm. You can dress yourself up on the outside. The only place you find God and peace and awareness and serenity and the release of anxiety is getting with the boss, yeah, the one that them. breathes you. Yeah, I love it. So uh, what does your God of understanding look like? Got a sense of humor. <laughs> Loving, joyful. Helps me to see multiple perspectives. When yeah. I get anxious, it's like looking through a, one of those kaleidoscopes, everything goes wacky. Yeah. When I take a, a chill pill and go even breathe or just say, Lord, I want to come inside, and I go deep into the inner places where I come out feeling refreshed, the anxiety's gone. Father Keating calls it divine psychotherapy, yeah. 20 minutes a day. For some people, it's running. For me, it was martial arts. Mm-hmm. But the God of my understanding today is very different from the punitive God. Because when I, when I prayed my prayer, and I would say to people, put a big X through this, I said at one prayer, Lord, you can have everything I don't need that keeps me from full service to you. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. That just gave the other version of God, the dark one of suffering, just jumped in. But ultimately, that God is for me because I get to overcome the setbacks. Mm. You know, And so now when people come to me, there's not much I haven't lived through. Mm. Like I've lived multiple lifetimes in this lifetime. And that was ultimately my prayer to take what I didn't need, just like Job restored everything the locust had taken and multiplied. Mm. So I have the greatest gift of all. I have my connection to the God that's uniquely, I call that God, Lynn the Beloved. Yeah, beautiful. Is it more of an energy? <sighs> Here again, it's hard to explain it, with it, words, I, and I we continue explain. to lie I mean, to each I other. Have, I have right? been held by Christ. When I had that quote, I call it a near life, mm-hmm. but when I had something happen to me where I stopped breathing um, at the hands of people that I loved, I was in this place where Jesus held me. Now, that for me was a very visceral experience. Mm. And at that time, I was told that, that everything's going to be okay. You're here to change a lot of people's lives, and someday you'll remember all this. The only thing I remembered after that experience was a bright light. Hmm. Now, I've had other times when I've been on the other side, there was nothing. I just, like uh, kind of like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings where he drifted after he, after he died. That was my experience. I drifted so far away. They, I, I, I drowned in a hot, hot tub. I passed out. How old? Oh, this was only about eight years ago. Really? Yeah. God needed it to slow, slow me down a little. Jeez. So on the way there... I took a, a break from work. at a four-hour break. I thought, oh, I'm going to do self-care. I'm going out to the local jacuzzi. It's a wonderful Korean spa with mugwort baths, which are great detoxers. And, and then I was going to get a massage. Long story short, on the way there, I said, I'd like a gaggle of angels to come with me. And I'm thinking, what is a gaggle of angels? And so from that place, I got there. I got in the tub. It was really hot. I had a little inner dialogue with my aspects. Two of them said, yeah, just stay five minutes. And the other one made a comment, which was kind of gnarly, so I won't say it, about how I died. And 20 minutes later, I came to. There were, like, my gaggle of angels were women. And I went, my angels. And I'm barfing into a bowl. 
Didn't know what happened. Didn't know anything except they wouldn't let me up. And I'm going, I'm a warrior. Let me up. And it's like, really? A warrior? Where'd that come from? And then I pulled I'm a healthcare practitioner. Let me up. And they wouldn't. So they, they got me into the jade room, which is more heat on top of heat. As soon as I could walk, I kind of got myself to the cold pool. And while my feet were dangling, this woman comes up and she goes, do you know what happened? I said, I don't have a clue. She goes, we found you face down in the jacuzzi. And, and my daughter just happened to walk out of the mudroom and saw you. And we all pulled you out and we were pumping you. So it took me about six weeks and I spent almost the entire time in my chair. I was, I was releasing a lot of trauma. I was told that I was releasing a lot of grief from my childhood that I didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. But it chilled me out so nice. Really? You know, and, and I, I made that for me. So to answer your question, I don't even know how to answer your question. Well, you just did it Mm. with words, right? And words can confuse and they're all a lie, but that's how we communicate on this planet. And the vibration, you know, you can be called out for something you did wrong at work in such a loving way that you thank the person. Or you can have somebody pointing their finger, you, blah, 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 and you get all of their vibration inside of you. And for people that are, what, what the heck is vibration? Well, energy can't be created or destroyed, but if you take water and you boil it, eventually it becomes steam. Take water and freeze it, it eventually become ice. And water in its fluid state is kind of, I would say, our optimal way of flowing through life. But that's a great metaphor. Anger turns us into ice cubes, guilt, you know, trauma. And then too much mind turns us into steam and there's nothing of substance. Wow, the world uh, has an amazing way of slowing us down, doesn't it? Thank God. This universe. They just slap you right around sometimes, huh? And you know what's really funny about that? My clients are further, faster, farther. When I tell them if they slow down, they will speed up. They look at me like, what are you talking about? But when you engage your breath, most people hold their breath. You know, like right now I just took a deep breath because I'm holding my breath talking so much. And yet, when we slow down, the clarity, like slowing down your mind is like slowing down. Then the clarity, there's so many solutions to any one thing. But when we're in rush, 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 you know, we look through the little kaleidoscope or maybe a binocular, and you only see what's right in front of you. Yeah. You don't have the 360-degree view, which comes from connecting to your, your inner wisdom, because that's 360. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. You're speaking my language. What a what an experience uh, um, I'm having. I appreciate it. So another thought. Um, let's talk about Lucy. Is Lucy real? <laughs> or is Lucy a, a construct that the world has come up with to uh, scare us from living? I prefer the latter. I've never met Lucifer in person. I don't think there's such a thing as Lucifer the person. But I have met the energy of againstness. Mm-hmm. And one time in a dream, uh, it was, it was, I was maybe in my 30s. I was in my dream, and I'm walking down a, a, a tree-lined dirt street, very straight, and something was following me. And when I speeded up, it speeded up. And then I started to feel my heart pounding, and what was it following me? And I turned around... And I just said, devil, get behind me. Stop it. And I, to me, it was like the devil that was tracking me. And as soon as I faced it, it went away. 
I think what we do with our mind creates hell. Evil, if you look at the words evil, that's when you live backwards. That's when you let your mind dictate your mind, your beliefs, your predilections, that the genetics you come in with. We may be um, at the effect of some of that, but we have the ultimate ability to change that because of what breathes us. So I've seen people do really nasty things to me, to my loved ones in the world. I've worked with some of the people that have done the nasty things, but when I look at them, they're living backwards. And the devil is lived, spelled backwards. So we do devilish things. We kill because of our anger, because of all the things that Lucy, which is what what I would call the negative battery, it's a battery. This is a positive and negative planet. So you're expanding, which I would say God's breath, or you're contracting, which is another word for Lucifer. Hmm. But I just use it, Lucy, you know. I just say the neg, negative power. Yeah. And it's here, and it's rightfully here. But we're here to use it for us, not to let it intimidate us. Love it. So do you, uh, does hell exist? I know people that are living in hell. Hell is a place that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a place that we create through ourselves, through our actions. You know, it will be held to the last farthing, so it says. You know, accountable. And yet, that's where the grace plan comes in. If you cheat somebody, sooner or later you're going to get cheated. You know, it's kind of like what you give, you get back. It's so much easier to give out judgment and self-righteousness than it is to extend compassion and forgiveness. And I think that's the difference between heaven and hell. I've lived through hellish things. I've been judged. You must be bad that all this stuff happened. I judge myself as bad. And yet, when I take that and I turn it to loving, then I become an ambassador for loving and light. So out of of a compost heap comes incredible nutrients to grow crops. So hell is a big compost heap. Yeah. But we can, like the kid says, there's a pony in there somewhere, the, the parable. But out of hell, when you change your thinking and you change your attitude, comes incredible fertility because we're yin and yang. We're the, the alpha, the omega. We're the all of itself. And God is everything. And God allowed Lucifer to create. Therefore, hell is right and proper, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as a place that we go to when we die, although there is an energetic vibration that could hold us in place. And loving will ultimately dissolve that. Good explanation. Um, If you could install one piece of advice in a child, what would that be? It's okay to make mistakes. You love your mistakes. You love your successes. You love the time that you're mad at your mommy and daddy because they won't let you do something. And then if you put all the energy into learning how to love yourself, and that's not something you can share with your child, like as words. That's something you emulate. And I think the biggest gift you could give your child or instill in your child is to let them watch you forgive yourself. If you're having a discussion that gets heated with your spouse, the child gets to see you resolve it in above the belt kind of way so you play fair, that you teach the child to take responsibility for their actions. And you can do that through showing them 
where their idea was right, but maybe the outcome wasn't as effective. You know, and that's like, uh, I know we're getting close, but a story when my daughter was about eight, we had her hamster in the back of the van and we went to visit friends. And so um, she said, oh, mommy, I left, I left Linkovich in the car. I'm going to go get him. And so um, she went out and she said, mommy, um, I locked the keys in the car. She says, wait, I have an idea. And she runs back outside and she comes back and says, Mommy, it didn't work. I said, what would you do, honey? She said, well, I had one of those things that they put cherries in in my drink, and I thought I could pick the lock, but Mommy, it broke up in the lock. And, of course, my human says, what made you do such a stupid thing? Uh, but I practiced what I preached. And I took sure. a breath and I said, honey, what made you de- decide to do that? She goes, oh, Mommy, when I was, when I was getting the mail for Daddy, I used, I used it to pick the lock to the mailbox, so I thought it would work. I said, honey, your thinking was brilliant, yeah. but a car is a different kind of lock. So I could have gone ballistic on her and taught her not to be creative, but instead I said, well, let Mommy call the locksmith, and then we'll go get the keys out of the car. Yeah. So she had a learning experience where she didn't have the wisdom that comes from making mistakes. So if we could teach our kids, like before they they get socialized at school, they make all sorts of mistakes. They color outside the line. Who says that's a mistake? You know, so give them the permission to learn and grow, but give them a safe container that they learn boundaries and that always to go inside. Can you imagine? I I did meditation with my daughter since she was little, you know, And, and she was incredible. By the time she was five, she was writing letters to people that were suicidal, you know? And that that broke one of the guys that came to my retreat. Really? She said, dear Bob, when you have fear, sit and talk to it. Don't push it away. Love, mushy. (laughs) And she folded it and handed it to this guy, and she ran out to play. That was his healing moment. Children, angels. We need to become our own inner innocence again. And we do it one breath at a time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just had a thought. What what blocks us from the veil? You mean keeps us from having keeps a fall? Us from, no, experiencing the other side. Like, as oh. you and I sit here right now, what blocks us from the veil, from the other side? Well, actually nothing. Yeah, nothing. Other than our minds, our beliefs. Um, my teacher used to say sleep is a preparation for death. You yeah. just don't come back. That's yeah. my experience. And had they not come, I would have just slipped away. Uh-huh. Practice of continually turning inside. When I first started to meditate, I couldn't even sit for a minute. I decided I needed to learn to meditate. So I, I got my, my watch on and my eyes are closed. It feels like an attorney. Oh, dear, it's only a minute. And when I got to five minutes, it was a hallelujah, five minutes. Wow. And then I didn't try to stop my mind. Mm-hmm. I gave my mind an assignment. Some people say, watch your thoughts. That's an assignment. I, I chant the name of God. Mm-hmm. You know, or you could say love or peace. And so you, you give your mind a focus so you can slip what I would call beyond the, the veil. It's just other levels of conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. They're all here. We're multidimensional. Yeah. We have feelings, emotions, thoughts, imagination. We have our unconscious, our subconscious. And that's just to name a yeah. few. And we do all those things wonderfully, simultaneously. Yeah. But we're all, our life here is outer directed, so we gain experience and overcome setbacks and ultimately bring that wisdom back when we leave so that God is greater. Mm. God grows through us. Yeah. 
Lovely. The the dream state, as you mentioned, dreaming. Uh, I believe that too. That's probably as close as we get to death, don't you think? We're sleeping at night. Isn't that kind of what heaven feels like? Because your mind still exists. It's still going. You're still having experiences, but yet you're unconscious, but yet you're still alive. Um, maybe touch on that a little bit, and I've got a few more thoughts I'll, on I'll that I'll start myself. by prefacing that I don't know. Yeah. But I can tell you what my sense is for myself personally. It's, it's more that our mind also has a lot to do with our sleep state. But also when you're on a, a more conscious awareness where you want to know your dreams, your dreams are a doorway into the unconscious. They can be prophetic. I've had many prophetic dreams um, where I wake up and I tell my husband what my dream was, and it's in the front pages. So we are all capable of that. When we leave, you could say some of us, we go to night school. We go to other realms where we learn about what it is to be human and what it is to bring spirit to humanity, how it is to grow our loving. We, we may go to, to what I would call hell places where we're reliving certain things, the nightmares. Sometimes our dreams clear things so we don't have to have the experience, particularly when you're on a, on a consciously committed spiritual path to know yourself. So those are some of the aspects. It is a rehearsal for death. Because that's basically what happens. You you fall asleep, you step out of your body, and there you are. And you're looking at this lump of clay. Wow. That's about what it's like. The first time I was strangled, I don't know if that technically could be classified as a near death, but I walked in somebody date-raping my sister when I was five. And he, he got scared, and he chased me around the cellar, and I ran under the stairs behind the water cooler. And here's this big guy, he picks me up by the neck, and he's shaking me. And I'm in the corner at the top of the room looking, saying, I don't like that. I don't want to come back here. Hmm. And the next thing you know, I'm back. So did I die or not? But I was out of my body. Sleep is kind of like that. You yeah. leave your body. And you can consciously begin to help yourself by writing, you know, I'd like my dreams to support me. I'd like to have a dream master, whatever that is, come and guide me to becoming more awake and aware of who I am when I'm sleeping or who I am when I'm awake, because literally the story about the butterfly, dreamt that it was a butterfly and woke, you know, and, and, and it wasn't. Are we dreaming right now, you and I? Or are we asleep? Or are we awake someplace else? And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. All that matters is that wherever we are, we're being loved, because that's our umbilical cord back home. Yeah. So dreams, I don't know. I used to have nightmares. So sweet. Now I, now I look forward and I say, I'd like my dreams to be sweet. I'd like to learn in my dreams. If I have an againstness with somebody and I just kind of can't get it out, I say, you know, Lord God, I'm going I'm to write that I clear this by morning. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask my body to heal before I go to bed. I mean, I have a, my body is my friend. It's my partner down here. It's my temple. Mm-hmm. So I, I write to my body all the time. You know, that. it's like, and things happen because our body stores the againstness, the, the judgments, the righteousness, because as you point someone else, it all comes back to you. The more you judge, the bigger your load gets. And I don't care if you're the richest person in the world. If you judge sooner or later, you're going to have to answer for that. Yeah. Because our words are so powerful. That's why when we're depressed, I'm so depressed. One depressed coming up. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, and then you did the very brave thing. You got 
a hold of your thoughts. Is it real? What's my story? Yeah. That's one of many ways. You find the way that works for you. Right. A little of this, a little of that. But you stay long enough to get the value. Yeah. And then you know if your goal is to be happy and joyful, that is absolutely doable. Because yeah. I'm, I'm a card-carrying proof that it is. Yeah, I love it. When I asked you about dreams, uh, we were one hour and 44 minutes into this podcast. Holy mackerel. 44 again. I looked over and saw the number. We're getting close. Just a couple more questions. Um, speaking of dreams and while you're sleeping, have you ever noticed, like, I don't set an alarm, and I can just tell myself, hey, you got to get up tomorrow at 6.30 or 7 or whatever, and I'll wake up at 6.25. And so... As I think about that and discuss that, I had a conversation with my mom and my brother. Something, if we're doing it, which I'm not sure we are, but something within us never sleeps. So we sleep, we wake up, are we dreaming, are we not? I'm not sure, but something is always running us and is always taking care of us and making sure that we get up on time. And, you know, I challenge the listeners to try that. You know, don't set your alarm one day or set it for 645, even though you got to get up at 630 and just go to bed. Say, hey, body, wake me up at 630 and notice when you wake up. So how can you be sound asleep, but yet something knows that's within you to make sure you wake up? I'm, I'm chuckling to myself because I haven't used an alarm in decades. Yeah. I set my head. I yeah. set my alarm. If it's something super, super, super urgent, I'll set my, my phone, but I never have to use it. And that's on rare occasions when I have to deliver a speech at some ungodly hour in the morning. Yeah. But think about this from the perspective of breath. When we're sleeping, something is breathing us. We're aware and awake 24 hours a day. And so that it that's eternal inside of us has us every breath of the way. So when we start to take dominion, we tell that part of us that records everything, hey, I'd like to wake up at 6.30. And then when you wake up at 6.30, the way you build momentum for this as an experiment is, thank you, whatever woke me up at 6.30. Now, as a scientist, when I first started looking at intuition, I kept a journal. And I'd get an intuition, and if I followed it, I'd see what happened. And if I didn't want to follow it, I'd see what happened. And I, I had, like, my such a statistical difference. And then I got to the place where it would be a little bit uncomfortable if my intuition wasn't true. Like, one time I was driving a long stretch of Route 80 on, on the way to New York State, and, um, and I was like, there was a really long stretch where there were no gas stations. And the way my gauge was looking, it was going to be a close call, whether I made the next gas station. And so I said, okay, do I have enough fuel to get to the gas station. I heard yes. Really? Yes. I heard yes three times. And you you will learn which is the voice of loving and which is the voice of I call the, the negative Lucy power, the, the, the habitual installed at birth. And um, I got to the gas station. I coasted in. I stopped right in front of the gas tank. And I started to, to kvetch. I said, hey, you said I'd have enough gas to get to the gas station. And this little inner part of me goes, I got you to the gas station. You didn't say you wanted to still have gas in your car. Yeah. But so I refined it through the years. And even to now, I still 
don't lean on my own understanding. Like my first thought isn't always the, the true thought. So with practice, you can have a felt sense. You'll know something's a little off. Like with the podcast, I mean, I really wanted to go home today. Yeah. And, and then I didn't know how long the shoot would take yesterday, and I was supposed to spend the night in Park Lake City and all this sort of stuff. And so um, I was in the bathtub, and I was just going, um, you know, I could help this young guy do his thing. And then my humanist is, ah, Lynn, he'd really rather be home. And then I thought what Michael said about you were genuine and you were making a difference in the world. And, and, and then I said, okay, I'm going to put it on the, the blackboard. Do I do it in my, in my consciousness? And it wasn't 15 minutes later. It was like, no, you're not going home tomorrow. You're doing the podcast. And it was better for me that you moved it earlier because I would have inconvenienced some clients later. Wow. So, But it was like when I get that kind of a yes... I, then I lead into it. Yeah. And then I, what I would tell your listeners is if they have something going on, they can make a decision and not act on it, but act as if they were going to act on it. That's one way to build your intuition. Yeah. That's so neat. And uh, it almost makes me emotional because of the way that it all worked out. Like literally, I didn't have anybody today. And I just asked you, you said, let me think about it. And... Uh, it's just life. That's life the way Incredible. we're intended to live it. Absolutely. It's flow. It's yes. synchronicity. I, mm. you know, I built my business on flow and synchronicity. I would say things like, God, what do you want me to do today? Like literally as I was building my inner relationship. And one crazy day I got told to cold call a very large corporation. Uh, I don't think, okay, but you've got to give me a name and a number. And within, within an hour, um, I got a call from an old client saying, hey, I'm doing work with this company. You know, they're going to hire this person who isn't a good fit. I really think you should do it. I groaned. I said, what's the guy's number? She gave me the number. I cold called with some ridiculous statement because I didn't know what to say, so I got put the words in my mouth. When he stopped rolling in laughter, is the news that bad on the street? <laughs> Not telling him what street, though. <laughs> And so I was able to go in when they were in the midst of deregulating and thousands of people were going to be laid off. And I got to work with the people that were laying off the people. Hmm. And, and other times, like, go work with this corporation. Oh, gee, I don't know. I don't know any contacts in that corporation. I hear, yes, you do. I'd look at my guest book at my retreat center. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. So I, I, he signed that corporation. So the spirit knew, and I didn't. And I called him up. I said, hey, so-and-so, do you remember me? Of course I remember. I was talking about yesterday with my massage therapist, the one that referred him. I said, well, you know, and he was a prayer guy. I said, well, you know, I was in prayer this morning, and I heard that I needed to do a stress management workshop for your company. Who should I contact? And I said, son, uh, me. How much do you want to charge? When do you want to come? Send me a letter. I mean, that's how most of my gigs come. Hmm. That's because God is my partner, the thing that breathes me. Yeah. independent of religion, independent of dogma, something breathes me. Yeah. And that's the one that I want to ride on because, it, like you said, it's 24-7, knows what I need before I need it. Yeah. And um, my life is so blessed at this point of 40-plus years of writing goals. Yeah, And then when I write them, I have a blessing journal 
because that's my momentum. Every time, like when I go home today, or probably by the time I get to the car, you're my blessing. What an amazing young man. He's making a difference in the world. You know, I got to randomly just speak on whatever. And for whoever listens to whatever part of this, may they be blessed because there's something in their life that they were looking for. Yeah. And for you, the listener, um, as I sit here, just a trust. You're always going to be taken care of no matter what type of experience you're going through. You could be going through the worst thing in the planet, and I'm telling you, it's for you. Hard to hear, but uh, uh, an experience, what you need to during that process, everything is a process, you know, and, and live in that process and sit in it and pay attention, listen to your mind, listen to your body, and uh, with some hard work, you'll come out on the other side, and it is heaven when you can learn how to understand the mind. Exactly. And I would also say to your listeners, if they would start writing goals, even in the midst of their darkness, where would you like to be six months from now? I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck here forever. Well, when you expose the darkness the negativity in the mind to new possibilities. There was a time where I cut out beautiful pictures from Oprah's magazine where at the, the end she had this ex, these exquisite photographs. And I would look at those photographs and i say, I want to be there someday. And so for your listeners, it's always darkest before the dawn. And if you can know that there's a purpose, even though you don't see it, you're not being punished, you haven't offended God you know, you haven't made a mistake that's irredeemable. Life is meant to be lived, and it's an experiment. And experiments bring mistakes so that you get closer to your truth. Yeah. And God bless every one of you Beautiful. with the light of, of taking charge of your mind and letting your heart lead you home to who yeah. you are. Beautifully said. Talk a little bit about the relationship between the mind and the body. Well... I believe the mind... Um, kind of runs the body and you know the body follows the mind it's one of Byron Katie's big things and boy I've tested it hundreds of times in the last three or four years and uh, I, I'm yet to prove her statement wrong no, I know when I, my I, mind's I off my body's off when my mind's accuracy. key my body's key I'm Relax. so excited I'm talking right over you because okay. it's like it's like we should be a choir <laughs> the mind's the culprit but underneath the mind we are the authors of our mind. So we are, if we're the captain of our ship and we don't like where we're going, people can think themselves into cancer. What you think, you create. What you speak, you create faster. So every time we say, I hate my job, you're setting yourself up to get fired. If you hate your job, okay, first off, what in me hates my job? Where am I not giving enough so that I'm serving in my job? You can hate your job and do such an excellent job, you're constriction-free, and you get hired someplace else. So the mind constricts. The heart wants to expand. The mind can cause the heart to close down with what we say. The mind can make us get cancer. Now, I'm not saying your mind is, uh, is bad. It's a contributing factor to everything else we have brought to the plate in this human life at this human time. But a great way to start is to look at the barking dogs in your head. They're not your friend. Yeah. And the best way to start is really get funny. Shut up. Yeah. Stop it. Sit. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I make jokes when my obsessive negativity comes upon me. Bad dog, go sit. And then I start laughing because I'm talking to myself in that program that may not even be my program. And so we are constantly on a, on a trajectory toward our own evolvement or transformation into beings of loving. Mm. And it may, it may take a very long time. It may not be this lifetime. Yeah. We don't know, but we leave seeds on this planet, and every good we do, every kindness we extend, is multiplied and returned to us. So be nice to yourself if you want to feel better. Yeah, take care of you, and then you'll be a much better human being on this planet. Put you that, take care of you, you're so much better taking oh care yeah, of others. Put your mind on a leash. Yeah, lovely. Um, where is your mind? All over. Yeah. You know, people that are born with smaller brains and they're mostly fluid, they can have a normal intelligence. And there's a little, a little piece of your brain and a lot of liquid. So where does our mind come from anyway? You know, we don't know what we do with our mind, how we become aware of all the senses that come from that, of all of the thinking that comes from that. Now, was that my thought? Or was that my mother's voice coming out of my mouth? Was that my boss's opinion, or is that accurate? So you use your mind to stop your mind. But the mind is it's pervasive. It just runs our body. Yeah. And how we handle our body, if we love our body, we can also help our mind. Is the mind and the brain two separate entities? For me, it is. Yeah. Brain is an organ. Yeah. Mind is, is non-local. Yeah. The mind is infinite. I don't know about the human mind, but I would say we are infinite. Because hmm. you know, I, I don't know enough to say that, but I, I do know, know that I can go any place in this universe yeah. if I choose to go there, and With I don't mind. use my physical body. Yeah. I use the part of me that's beyond my mind that is the one that breathes me. I think, and I know nothing also, but I think the mind is maybe what you take with you when you leave here. I wouldn't say that. I'd say you take your experiences with you. You take your negativity with you if you haven't learned to dissolve it. So I would say the things that our mind creates, we take our loving with us. We take our lessons we haven't learned with us. Hmm. You know, and um, sometimes if people die with massive judgments, they sort of pick it up. Because to me, all time is now all... One soul, once a soul is here, a soul is here. Mm -hmm. But like trees, we drop our leaves, we drop our bodies. And I mean, I've worked with two-year-olds who have come in and sat with me while I was talking to their mom, and the mom's showing me the wedding album. And they go, I died, big poo-poo head. Hmm. And then they jumped off and go out to play with their brother, and the mom's burst into tears. I knew it, I knew it. Well, the child she conceived was her best friend and her husband's best friend who passed away. And there's hmm. a backstory there. But that, that, that man that died a week after their wedding with a, in a car accident had left all his money to his best friends. And she, in her intuition, knew that that man had been reborn as a child so they could both love her equally. Hmm. And for her, as a two-and-a-half-year-old, to jump on the bed and go, I died, big boo-boo, with a whole page full of people in a group. Mm -hmm. That's pretty trippy. Now, what does science do with that, except to say the child made it up or it was an accident? Right. Uh, through the years, I've worked with so many people with issues 
that don't result that don't come from here. It could right. be the parents' issues, the grandparents' issues, but things are passed generationally. Yeah. And scientifically, Fetner's work, when I read his the draft of his, his genome book, it's like the RNA stores the traumas so that there's safety going down. It's all about safety. What's the RNA? RNA, DNA and RNA. Okay. It's part of what our genetic makeup. Okay. So traumas are stored in the RNA. But they can also, other things can be stored, like facial features are passed down. We also have issues passed down. Right. And that's the transgenerational, multidimensional kind of stuff. So that little boy that passed away, or said that he passed away, and he's... Yeah, the young man the passed young away. The man passed away and said, hey, I died and I'm here. Is it his mind recognizing that? Uh, it's his essence. The mind doesn't... The mind is a, is a scheduling device. The essence knows. Oh. Yeah, if you, if you Google on the Internet, there's a story of a young man who came in having nightmares drawing uh, fighter-type ships in wars. And um, as he got older, I mean, the parents got really concerned about this kid. So somehow the Japanese government got involved, and they flew him over. He took them exactly to the place where his ship went, his plane went down. And then he threw a bouquet, and he sobbed like a baby. They also took him to meet who he said his World War II buddies were because he remembered their last names. Mm. So by the time he's 8 or 10, they took him to meet these people. He walked in, you know, Joe, oh, my God, it's so good to see you. How's your wife doing? Nothing he could have researched on the Internet or known anything about. Mm. And same thing with Anne Frank. If you do the, the stuff, it's fascinating. I, my daughter came in with a deathly fear of vines. You know, she she would, like, go hysterical, like Swedish ivy and stuff like that. So we finally, I did a, a kind of a process with her, and she saw where she died. Mm. And vines had something to do with it. Mm. And then she did a little bit of anger work, and then when she was done, she goes, and Mommy, I still hate vines, but I'm not scared of them anymore. Mm. So so you believe we reincarnate Well, several times over? I, I wouldn't even use the word reincarnate, because that implies newness. And again, my words are lying horribly. But like a tree, the, it re-embodies itself every spring. Mm-hmm. So to me, in my reality, this body, to quote a four-year-old I worked with once, your body is a costume. Yeah. And when we're done with the costume, we take the wisdom, we take the learning, we taste the judgments, we, we, we go where we sit and review it, and then we may choose to come back to finish that lesson. So, um, I mean, again, I've got a million stories. Yeah. You know, four-year-old says, Grandpa, don't die yet. Don't you drop your body, Grandpa. I need you. And Grandpa was perfectly healthy and had a heart attack like within a week. Yeah. And he was nip and tuck. All he could hear was his little grandson saying, Grandpa, don't you leave yet. And his parents were preachers, hmm. you know, and Grandpa lived. Yeah. So we are so much more than this little bit. We're Aladdin. We're the lamp. Yeah. You know, we're the genie, and the creation is is all of us, yeah. infinitely so. Well, very well explained. You're such a beautiful lady. Thank you. Um, what's your biggest fear currently? If I was to say I had a biggest fear and the barking dogs would get at me, which is ungrounded, is that I would leave before my work was done. And yet, I know that's ridiculous, 
because I will be alive until I'm not, and at that point my work will be done. Mm. Many, many years ago, I was uh, a Nigerian, for lack of a better word, witch doctor came to a church that I was attending as a guest, and when I walked in, he looked at me, and he, and he, he starts throwing his little bees, and he goes, you should be dead. I said, I know that. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You should be dead. I said, I do know that. And he goes, creator saved you because there's millions and millions of people that you're to touch with loving. And this was probably 1990, probably 1990. Wow. You know, he never met, never laid eyes on me before. Came and spent five days at my retreat because he wanted to deepen his connection to spirit. Mm -hmm. So I know my work will be done because I work as though time is short because you never know. You know, yeah. I know that I'm here to maximize this God-given brain, you know, beyond the mind, but, but all the mechanism of my brain, of the genius mind that we all have. And I was told when I was eight, when I had that, that near-death life experience, that someday I would do that. Now, from the time I was eight years old, that was a burden. I used to squint my eyes and say, well, what is my job, God? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I couldn't remember the details. And then when I was 42, I passed out, and I remembered the details. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, you're to do this, you're to do that. So through my books, through my spoken word, now obviously through podcasts and TV shows, um, I have a lot to share. But if somebody takes one sentence out of this podcast, I would be so happy. Because in every day I've done my work, so my fear, my fear has no place to live. And sometimes my day is to do nothing other than tend to myself. And that's my work for the day. So each day, my boss, the one that breathes me, says, oh, today you're going to do a podcast. Okay. What do you want me to do before I get out of bed? Okay. You know? Yeah. And it's like my life is easy because I don't have to think. Yeah. You're not in charge. I'm not. None of us are in charge. That's the that's cosmic joke. That's what's so beautiful, huh? The cosmic joke. We think we're doing something. Yeah. We can create, we are here to create, sure. but where do we create from? Yeah. The greatness inside of us. Sit back and then just ride the wave, right? Oh, what a glorious wave. The some wave days of life. Some days it's really rough. Yeah. Some days I need to reach out to a friend because where two or more are, it's easier to connect. Yeah. But wherever I go, I'm surrounded yeah. by loving. Yeah. And it, it comes from inside. Hang 10, I think you said on... A video of yours that I listened to. Oh, did I? I don't remember yeah, what I said. Surfing and them. hang 10 and just let your feet hang off the surfboard. Yeah. And you if know? you fall off, you get back on. Get up. back on. Just keep riding the wave. But if you're smart, you learn the ways of the wave. Yeah. So you learn when it's best not to ride that one. That's yeah. called wisdom. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So anything I should have asked you today that I didn't? No, this is a pretty thorough interview. Yeah. Um... What I'd like to say is that it's been a blessing to share with your listeners. And if you, if you found value, share it with your friends. And if they go, bah, stupid, bless them, because it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Bless yourself, because people will come against you and not even know it. And anxiety and depression are tools to help unfold your brilliance. You know, Michelangelo, if that stone had feelings, got chiseled a lot before it came something of incredible beauty. All of us are Michelangelo's or whatever we are that's a thing of beauty. Mm. And our beauty makes this world a paradise again. Yes. 
I love it. I think we're all gods. We're all gods and we're all facets of the one God. So we're, we're God-like. We have, we have the powers, but we're not God. We are aspects of the oneness and we're all one in our individual experiences contributing to the whole. Yes. Like the cells in our body. Yeah. You know, we're the sum total of all the cells in God. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. what a treat and a treasure to share with you and to have such a, a willingness to take your challenges and turn them into something of beauty. And it weren't for the earnestness that I felt, you know, um, I probably wouldn't have come. Yeah. You know, it's been a very busy week. Yeah. And yet, where spirit brings you, there's always enough energy. And that's for your guys with depression and anxiety. If you can move, if you can get up, when you every cell of your body says to go back to sleep, you know, yeah. Rumi, a very amazing Persian poet, said, you know, there's a doorway, don't go back to sleep. Yeah. You come and go, but don't go back to sleep. Yeah. So remember, you got to breathe, and as long as you breathe, and as long as you love, you are going to be so awake. Wow. Well said. Such a sweet lady. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. So uh, each week I leave a, a mind exercise for the listeners, and after discussing uh, all this beautiful and amazing information with Dr. Lynn, I think what I got from it, which uh, I researched her for a couple of days and I just started yesterday. I'm not a big note taker or goal setter, but I wrote down a couple of goals yesterday. So my challenge is for you to write down some of your goals, even if you're struggling. Like uh, Dr. Lynn said, where do you want to be next week? Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be next year? Uh, Just putting paper to pen is relieving in itself. So, you know, Put, or putting pen to paper is a relieving in itself. So go ahead and write down some thoughts. Where do you want to be? Throw it out there to the universe and then just sit back and ride the wave and, and see what happens. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Lynn again. It was such a pleasure to hear your mind today. And what an honor to have you on the Minds Gym podcast. Um, just what a treat uh, I experienced today. And I can't honestly thank you enough. Thank you, uh I don't even know if those two words could could uh, cover um, my gratitude for you today. So thank you. Thank you so much. And if I can have one more word. Go right ahead. When, when you do your goal writing, life is a game. You've heard me say that in this. I've done many iterations of goal writing for the last 40 years. When I write, I'm winning the game, you're going to invoke your inner child. And so... It is a game, and if you don't get it right away, don't say, oh, it's not possible. Instead, notice every itty-bitty step you take and know that what's for you will come to you. And the more you do it, the more grooves you put in your brain physiologically. So you are literally, by writing the goals and writing down the gratitudes, you're carving a new neural pathway, which like a, a, a new superhighway you're going to make and it's going to cut off the old one lane road that's full of ruts and bumps and that's the anxiety and the depression so I leave you there have fun with it God bless you all thank you so much so hey listener I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, of the Minds Gym podcast with Dr. Lynn just a just an incredible uh, two hours we had today and here's a final thought I just want to thank you um 
listeners for your time and uh, taking some time out of your busy day to listen to this lovely uh, uh, podcast and also my lovely uh, guest and myself. And uh, please subscribe again. And if you have uh, any questions, feel free to PM me. And if you are experiencing any negative emotions, um, just understand you're out of your natural state of mind and uh, uh, maybe try some of these uh, exercises that Dr. Lynn discussed today. You know, question those negative thoughts. And as I love to say, we're all twins here on this beautiful planet. We're all equal and we're all sharing similar thoughts. And uh, another thought, we're all innocent. You know, we all have our struggles. We've all done what you might call bad things, but, you know, you're just believing your thoughts in that moment. So I'm in you and you're in me, and so now go take care of your lovely self. If you'd like to contact me, um, you can uh, find me on the Instagram at the Minds Gym Podcast or email me at themindsgym at gmail.com. And thanks again. Peace and love to you all, and uh, go exercise and challenge that lovely mind and for all of you that are out there struggling with anxiety and depression or going through a rough spell I promise you if you work hard on your inner self there is a way out and there's light at the end of the tunnel I love you you're beautiful thank you and we'll see you next week